0: When I really finally begin to get, I'm accepted by God through Christ, and there is nothing I could do right now, nothing, that would get Him to love me more than He does at this moment. Now we're flirting with significance at a really deep level.
1: Welcome to Eternal Leadership. I'm Steve Ryder, and that voice that we just played is former pastor Matt Hurd, who just wrote an incredible book called Life with a Capital L. The book has so moved my co-host John Ramstead that John now gives it to all the executives that he coaches. Matt sat down with John and I at Mission Coffee Roasters recently and here's how John started that conversation.
2: All right, welcome to this episode of Eternal Leadership and I'm really excited today to have Matt Hurd on. Matt. Uh, a great friend of ours, K. Hiramini, introduced me to you. Gave me your book, and it was I, as I started reading your book, something just jumped out at me like uh, like a freight train. Uh, as you know, you know, I had that accident three years ago, and as I'm recovering from my accident, there were days that I could honestly barely get through. Sometimes just the next five minutes. I didn't even know if I'd be productive. I didn't know what my future looked like, and I was I was reading in the Bible, in John 10:10, 10, 10, right. Christ said, I have come that they may have life and live it to the full. And I just stopped on that verse. I'm like, what is it like to have a full life? And I was reflecting back on my life before the accident. And I'd gotten to the point where I just was, I was successful in business. I was making more than I'd ever made. I was, I had started some nonprofits in the community, you know, from the outside, everything was great with my wife, but I just was not happy. Um, I knew there was something else that I wanted, this, this longing. I couldn't even have told you what it was. I couldn't define it. But through this last three years, it was this journey. I was like on one side of a river, and, I, and there's this fast flowing river, and on the other side of the river was this life that I knew that God had meant for me, this full life that Christ talks about in John, and I had no idea how to get to that other life, that other side and as far as i looked up and down in my own life with my own resources there was there was no bridge there was no path and as i read your book it was like a bridge this beautiful bridge was being built from one shore to the other and i got to tell you i'm so excited that you came out with this uh, i do a lot of executive coaching i'm going to give this to every single one of the guys that i work with all my clients i think this is just a powerful tool to move forward so with that i would love for you to Share a little bit about yourself, and then we can dive into some of the just incredible teachings and sharing that you put into this book, Life of the Capital L.
0: That's awesome, John. It, it's great to be here. It really is. I've been looking forward to this. It was great uh, just connecting you with a, a little bit, hearing your, your heart, and I'm... Uh, the amazingly privileged dad of three grown sons and my wife will tell you she has four boys but uh they're a band of brothers and we we have a blast and i I just got uh, a text from my middle son yesterday he climbed the highest 14er in in colorado and in the snow so it's always In in november in november so it's fun to journey with them uh, from afar, but also close up. Uh, for the last 12 years, I was a senior pastor of Woodman Valley Chapel in Colorado Springs and just last year resigned to, to write this book. And then I'll figure out what I'm gonna do when I grow up, but I wanted to get this book uh, done.
1: Now, for the listeners that aren't familiar with the Colorado Springs area, Woodman Valley Chapel is the second largest church in the Colorado Springs area, if yeah. I remember correctly. Five to 6,000 people averaged uh, membership. Um, I've heard a number of times about the holiday services that you guys would do, the performances and such, but I, I never made it over there. I was a new lifer for my first nine and a half years. I lived out here and then got, pl- got plugged into a small, tiny community church where I live in Falcon. But I, I've always respected Woodman Valley because every time I've gone in there for any sort of event, it, it was a hopping place. Mm.
0: Yeah, we had a blast, very grateful for those years. Those were fun years, fun. Both, both internally in terms of what we experienced, but also our impact on the community and some of the cooperatives that uh, we participated in with the city, and, uh, as well as some global initiatives as well. So mm-hmm. it, was, it, was a, it was a great ride. It's also been a delight to be able to get away, breathe a little bit, uh, get, get rested some, but also do, do this riding. Why did you leave? a big a big factor was to get this book that's been lingering in the back of my mind for years i I also i think the the pace had gotten turned up so fast uh, for me nobody's fault but my own i i was also weary but there was a this book has been burning in me and it's for my three sons and Hmm. uh i wanted to make sure and and entrust to them A a legacy of what is an overview of the implications of the gospel? I mean, what's the, the, there's the so what, uh, that Jesus is true. What difference does that make in each of our lives? And it's so cool because if uh, it's my, Mack truck scenario, if I get hit by a Mack truck out there and you guys see a smile on my face, it'll be because I wrote this book first and they have it and they'll have it for the rest of their lives and for their kids.
1: Now you said you got three boys. What are their ages currently?
0: Uh, The oldest is 24. The middle one's 21 and the youngest is 18. So the oldest graduated from the Air Force Academy a a couple of years ago. He's stationed up in Alaska, uh, actually in Fairbanks. No, he's a contracting officer. So he's a business major. And I wanted to be up near Mount McKinley and Denali. He just spent... Uh, eight days took a float plane he and his housemate took a float plane into Kodiak Island to hunt for eight days and they said okay we'll pick you up here in eight days uh, be at this spot on the river and they just had a had a blast Uh, my middle son is junior at the University of Colorado he's taking a little time off he's a Wrangler up at a a ranch up in the mountains a dude Mm -hmm. ranch called Lost Valley Ranch and my youngest just started in Spokane, Washington, at Whitworth University. So we are empty
2: nesters as of this fall. So it's bizarre. You know, my wife is dreading being an empty nester, <laughs> but I know God's going to fill that vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. So so that is, that's a great segue. When you were talking a minute ago about the John 1010 and yeah. the river. All right. So... Uh, we asked some people. Okay, how do you deal with the empty nest thing? And they said we just got to learn to be spontaneous. That's the beauty of it. And we're close as a family, and so we're yeah. glad for where they are. But we're really missing them. But they said, well, but just the the upside is the spontaneous way you guys can just do life. We said, well, okay, but we filed it away. Well, I was I was traveling. I've been traveling a lot this fall. I was down in Orlando and flew up to New York. Got there about four o'clock in the afternoon. Was checking into the hotel. I'm dead tired i got a meeting that night i think the weariness has caused some tunnel vision and i didn't see the camera crew over to my right uh-huh. until they turned the light on midway through my registration process the guy comes over and says mr Hurd," and i just say, out of the yes. blue out of the blue totally he says uh we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of our hotel and do you mind if i ask you a trivia question about billy joel i said well sure I, that's what i thought you were going to ask me what are you kidding me <laughs>
2: How, was, how random is that? So, But
0: he wanted to know about Billy Joel's nickname. Yeah. And I said, Piano Man. When I said Piano Man, truly, confetti flew, people cheered, bells rung, the employees behind were clapping. And he thrusts his golden envelope toward me and, and says, Congratulations, you've won two tickets to Billy Joel's concert tomorrow night at Madison Square Garden. I thought i just never win anything i thought that's bizarre so the first thing i had to do is call the guy I was meeting with the next night uh that there had been a change of plans (laughs) (laughs) actually i wanted to see if we could move and we did now you're with your wife right no uh -uh. no just alone uh, just alone but arlene is a big billy joel fan okay so the boys grew up in billy joel in the minivan going to soccer his two cd set essential billy joel and so I start thinking through, how am I going to tell her? I'm going to go see <laughs> the guy she's wanted to see in concert all her life. And then I thought about the spontaneous thing.
1: Spontaneous. We can
0: be spontaneous. And so I I, looked, I went online to get some, you know, for miles and points for f- free flights and got a flight the next day. Then I yeah. called her and I told her the story. She was so excited. She didn't know she was coming. I said, but that's not all. You're going to come with me. She's dead silent. Oh, well that, done. That's, that's tomorrow. I said, I know, but we can be spontaneous. Remember, that's we're empty nesters. <laughs> so finally she, she said, all right. And so I got flowers and welcomed her. You know, the, the staff knew she was coming. So we show up at the concert, and Billy Joel was rocking. I mean, mm-hmm. it's the, the, I will say the thing that surprised me the most at first was how old he is. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> then I looked around and how old a lot of the other people were. And then I took a selfie, and I, I saw, who's the old dude with my wife? That's me. <laughs> dude. <It's>, dude. <laughs>
2: Billy Joel was old when I was a kid. That was a long time ago. I tell you
0: what, though, he has not lost a. a He's a belted out, can he? He really, he didn't miss a note. Well, so I'm listening to this amazing concert, and uh, I, I, you know, his his melodies are so mesmerizing. I think you sometimes miss the lyrics, but people talk about what a great lyricist he is. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here scrambling while we're talking when you mentioned that, and. Uh, filibustering because I'm trying to look up the lyrics because he, he's sang this song a river of dreams mm-hmm. all right so this is what you said a minute ago about this river right here's what he here here's the lyrics to the river of dreams in the middle of the night I go walk into my sleep don't start singing right now from the mountains of faith to a river so deep you know the song right, right? I must be looking for something 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 sacred I lost but the river is wide and it's too hard to cross and even though I know the river is wide I walk down every evening and I stand on the shore and I try to cross to the opposite side so I can finally find out what I've been looking for. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep through the valley of fear to a river so deep. And then he says, I've been searching for something taken out of my soul, Hmm. something I would never lose. I thought something somebody stole. He says, I don't know why I go walking at night, but now I'm tired and I don't want to walk anymore. I hope it doesn't take the rest of my life. Until i find out what it is that I've been looking for. I mean, he was singing those lyrics. I actually Googled them from Madison Square Garden because I thought, are you kidding me? I mean, it's like he wrote
2: the theme song for your book. Yeah. You didn't even know it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, and he doesn't pretend to know answers or to point people in that direction. He's an agnostic. I think he said publicly, but... uh, But I tell you what he articulates what we're all aware of, but we can't articulate often.
2: Well, you know what's so powerful is you know when you're stuck on that shore, and you 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 know you talked earlier on is you know what's the role of Christ in all this? Right. So what? When you're stuck on that shore, and you're looking across something that you can't you can't get there, the only human response I've ever had is just despair you know, maybe anger, frustration, but when you have hope, just a little bit of hope, even a little ember, that there's a way over to that life, right? There's a path to get there. Mm -hmm. It's that little bit of hope that I think can, can be absolutely transformative, which is permanent change. That's how can that occur in your life? I had a question, you know, as I was reading the beginning of the book, you talked about this incredibly powerful moment that happened to you when you were in an art gallery in Moscow. Mm. yeah did yeah. that happen when you were you, when you were when you were preaching you were a pastor and what was it that moment that led into what you're doing now <laughs> there was some of that because it
0: was i was behind a couple of buddies of mine we responded we sponsored an orphanage over there and so right. the three of us were over there kind of touring that but we took a day and went to this art gallery straight at the state <laughs> Tretyakov gallery in in moscow and I got behind them. I don't know why. I, maybe mm-hmm. I was lingering doing something and uh, and and I go by this and through this room and I rush by and and I stop. The, this painting caught my eye. It's a painting from uh, 1888 by Nikolai Yurshenko. And it's got uh a, a, it's a, a rail car, prison rail car. And this is back late 19th century. They're they're shipping people off to Siberia, mm-hmm. you know, during all the revolution and stuff. And there are five characters peering through the, the prison bars of this 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 rail car that's taking them probably to Siberia. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a worker, a peasant, a soldier, a mother, and a and a child. And they're they're all gathered around and this child is feeding birds on the platform. And the then I so I I, I just, just intrigued me, and I walked up so I could see the title of the uh, the painting. It says, There is life everywhere. Hmm. So I googled. Well, what did we do before we could get our phones out and look stuff up? So I, I thought, what's the back? What, what's the story behind this? Well, behind, it turns the out behind the painting. Behind the painting. Well, he painted it uh, a couple of years after uh, to, Leo Tolstoy. Leo Tolstoy had written right. a, sh- a, a short story just a couple of years before, and. Uh Jerushenko said it was this story that inspired him. And the story that Tolstoy writes is called What Men Live By. But he begins with 1 John three fourteen at mm-hmm. the beginning of a short story that talks about uh, we have moved from death to life when we love. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about these two spiritual uh, conditions of, of humanity that impact every aspect of us. It's, it was a big theme of Jesus, death and life, where you, you go from death to life. And the moment a person comes to follow Christ, they move from this realm of death to the realm of life. Now, whether they enjoy it or not, experience it, that's a different factor.
1: Mm,
0: and so I'm looking, at, I'm looking at it and thinking, that's brilliant. And then I saw there's a sixth guy, and he's on the other side of the rail car in the background. He's looking out the other side. And so it just it was this deal of he's missing it. And then it hit me because I'm rushing. I wasn't just rushing through the museum. I I sat down. There's a bench in the room, and I sat down. And I said, I'm rushing through every aspect of my life right now, and I'm missing. I'm I'm going through life with a little L. That's heart-beating life, but I'm missing the, you know, T.S. Eliot talks about where is the life, capital L, he uses, that we've lost in living. And I said, I'm that guy. I'm missing it. Too busy, too distracted. And it was was real formative in terms of, what I began to look at in my life and how to sh- try to straighten some
2: of that out. So w- when you saw, I'm looking at a picture of this painting, the guy in the background looking out the other side, and you identified with that person. Absolutely. I identified with him more than I did the people in the front who were, who are looking at this little child feeding the, the pigeons. They're smiling, even though they're yeah. in a rail car. Yeah. A little bit of a dichotomy So it's not their there. circumstances. Right there.
0: And he's saying there is life everywhere. It's actually, he's asking a question. I think he's saying, are you, Are you experiencing the life that is everywhere? It's everywhere. That's a given. But the question is, what
2: we experiencing? And I thought, you know what? I'm missing it more than I'm getting it. So, what what did you notice about in that moment about yourself, your life, your vision of where what you wanted to 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 create for yourself? I that I was
0: being so distracted and saying wait till this gets fixed till this project gets handled
1: mm-hmm.
0: till that relationship gets settled to the, you know we we postpone we procrastinate life right and we say i've got to deal with all of this until my circumstances get settled and then i'll be able to to chill or whatever and Yaroshinko is making a statement he's saying even in the worst of circumstances you can know life and of course that's what paul does in philippians he's He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. You know, and he's not saying with a glib smile on your face and pretend. He's just saying circumstances are always going to be ebbing and flowing in our lives. But it's submerging beneath those and in experiencing what Christ wants me to experience as a human
2: being. So circumstances can either be an anchor. We can choose to let them either be an anchor or they can define us or we can choose to change our circumstances intentionally. We have a choice every day, don't we? Mhm. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you working with clients as a coach there's so many people that think about this life on the other side of the the river. Yeah. And they're just unwilling to make to make it a priority today because there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. And it is something. It's a lot of reasons why they've come to me as a coach is I gotta I gotta put this in line, you know. You wrote this. I'm gonna read this because it's in your book on page nine. I, I love this. I read this to my wife last night from the poet from Robert Abrams. Mm. Some mm. men die by shrapnel, and some go down in flames, but most men perish inch by inch in play at little games. And I was saying about myself before my accident. In hindsight, you know, I was laying there on the. In the hospital room, I was in ICU for five weeks, and I don't remember a lot. But one of the conversations I do remember clearly was the surgeon standing on the right side of my bed, and my wife standing on the left side of my bed, and I had to, they had to do emergency brain surgery. They took my whole skull off basically to fix wow. everything. There was so much damage, and he asked Donna if I had a will, and that you know there's high likelihood I wouldn't survive, and if I did, uh, I might i probably not wouldn't be the person she remembered. And I remember thinking to myself, laying in bed. You know, it could be my funeral in a week. I was very clear-minded about this. Mm. I'm like, you know, what did all my life mean? What did it, all that stuff that was busy, what did it count for? What, what, what did I leave, you know, an inheritance is something you leave to somebody. A legacy is something you leave in somebody, right? What did I leave in my wife, mm. in my kids, right? My three boys, I have three boys also, in the life around me. And so, you know, throw Thro talks about, you know, living a life of quiet desperation. I think that's exactly where I was. What I'd love to talk about now, Matt, is transition into what, if you're on, you know, you're standing on this side of the, the shore, right? Mm-hmm. How did you build that bridge for yourself as you wrote about here in the book? And let's talk about how you, how you get over that. What's over there. First of all, what's waiting for you when you embrace that full life that Christ <laughs> talks about, right? Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then how to get there.
0: Yeah. Well, what's waiting on you is you get to live at church every day of your life. And and work, work in the Sunday school. And, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the, 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 the I, is, I get to be on another committee. That's right. Sweet. So, I so many people. I think we, we have we've compartmentalized mm-hmm. uh, the gospel. Yeah. And I think for me, a big part of this moving to the other side is realizing the gospel is not just one compa- It does not just address one compartment of my life and my journey. Jesus did not come. To improve my church life, my religiosity, or even make me more spiritual ultimately. Now, mm-hmm. spirituality is important, but it's important in the context of the purpose for our spirituality. And the purpose for our spirituality is aligned with the purpose of why Christ came. He came to restore what he had created and he called it good. And that's our, our humanity. Mm-hmm. Us as human beings, as images of God, Imago Dei. Right. And so he's he's not coming back with plan B he's saying, well that didn't work, so let's try something else. No, he says, you know, your rebelliousness has muted your ability to enjoy your humanity. Now mm-hmm. we can still enjoy it. Everybody out there knows how to laugh, they know how to party, they know how to create, they know how to uh, to build and lead, but it's still there's something that it's like a a blanket over it. And uh you know, that's the, the the issue of sin. A lot of us, a lot of times people think, well, the bad thing about sin is that it's breaking rules. Well, yes, but it goes far deeper than that. It's dehumanizing. Hmm. It uh, it makes me less than who I've called to be as a human being. And so
2: it's... What, what does that mean practically? So that's an interesting concept, right? Because... You know, a lot of times we're taught about sin is you know, you're breaking rules. Don't do it because God will be mad. God will be mad. So now I'm afraid to pray because, you know, how am, I, how am I worthy to pray? Yeah. You know, it's kind of put in those contexts, almost the spiritual context about you and God. But you're saying it's more than that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, looking at the, the the what if what if the Bible, instead mm-hmm. of being a religious manual or a humanity owner's manual, And so this is how you Hmm. best function and operate as a human being. And so when I violate those instructions, yes, I'm sinning, I'm rebelling against God, and there's a consequence to that, but the the deep consequence is it, it robs me of experiencing my humanity fully, which in turn is glorifying, the most glorifying to God. The ultimate thing about sin, of course, is that I, it's not to the glory, we fallen. everyone is sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So sin is not participating in God's glory. It's, it's a whole nother story. But my, my rebelliousness is saying, God, I know best how my humanity operates. I want to be significant. I want to feel that those going back to those longings, those deep longings that we've all got, mm-hmm, whether it's mm-hmm. for significance or, or a deep sense of Shalom or, or security. I know what will make me secure, if I get this amount in my 401k, mm. that's gonna that's gonna do it. I know what will make me feel significant, is if I launch into this sin spree, with these women, with these men, with this party crowd, what, whatever it is. I know what will make me. We can we can also take stuff that's appropriate and try to wrestle it, to to try to satisfy the deep as long as it only God can can address. Is that is that answering some of what you're, you're, you're wondering? Come back at me.
2: No, it does. You know What I'm thinking about is, you know, you're know you talking about this concept of humanity and embracing your humanity fully. Mm. I'd love for you to just expand on that a little bit and say, if if one does that, well, also, what does that give them? Mm. I, I, that's something you've found. And I can yeah. just see this this peace and joy in your heart and your in your eyes and in your life. And I think that's what a lot of people are really searching for. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, I think it was an aha for me, and it's, it's happened in stages over the course of my journey. And a lot of this I understood even when I saw that painting, but I had to go back to it because I'd, I'd lost touch with it. And, and it's this, that Jesus, this whole notion of uh, understanding the gospel, not just as one uh, compartment of my life. A lot of people think, okay, my spirituality is here. It's on Sunday mm-hmm. morning. Maybe if I have a quiet time or a devotional life, but the rest of the time I do my other things. As opposed to realizing my spirituality should breathe into my humanity. Hmm. I think the healthier person's spirituality, the fuller their humanity, if it's the healthy kind of spirituality. But what have we learned? At least what I've learned is the more spiritual I become, the less human I'll become. Humanity's bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a message that the the culture has heard from the church is, uh, you know, come to Jesus and leave your humanity behind. And the scriptures say nothing of the sort. I mean, they're, uh, we, we, wait a minute, we're to deny ourselves. Yep, but that doesn't mean deny our humanity. Oh, well, we're not to be worldly, correct? But that doesn't mean that we're not to be fully human. You know? and, and so who was it that was so drawn to Jesus? It wasn't the religious guys. It was the party crowd. It was the people that were, who knows how they would have termed it, but I'll put words in their mouth because I've got the microphone right now. and They're saying, this is a guy that's fully human. This is a guy, and in actuality, he was the most fully human person to walk on this planet since Adam and Eve before the fall. He was perfectly human. And so this whole notion of humanity being the enemy of my spirituality comes from a dualism that... I mean, it haunts business guys. I know that we deal with a lot where it's this. There's the sacred and the secular. And how many guys, have you and I talked to, that they are they are just doing amazing stuff in the corporate arena, but they feel like they're disappointing somebody because they didn't go into to ministry. Are you kidding me? They're in ministry. You know, this sacred secular. It's a false. And they, they don't dichotomy. know how to connect
2: the two in in business. Right. Right. It's interesting. It reminds me of the saying. You know. You know, there's some people that are so heavenly-minded, they're no earthly good. Yeah, yeah. But there's also people that are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about actually integrating these two, the spiritual and the physical, in this place where they coexist in, into this great place. Absolutely. Now, that that's a hard place to get to, I would think, for a lot of people, because it's never been modeled or taught to them.
0: Right, right. What, But what if I were to begin to realize that my... Walk with Christ, my right. spirituality, instead of being something that would uh, f- fuel my lack of participation in physical things, mm-hmm. actually enhances my participation in physical things. When I say physical, I'm referring to from vocation to recreation to our finances to our engagement in the culture. You
2: know, I think in the first chapter there, I list this is the physical realm. Yeah, so, what's an example of that? Uh, example of the physical realm. Enhancing the physical realm with that, that
0: spiritual relationship. Okay, so if I am letting my walk with God mm-hmm. come into my uh, workplace, let's say, yeah, I get rescued from workaholism, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I begin to realize the significance of my work goes far deeper than just uh, the, the bottom line of my company. Now, I do that. And I serve my company well. But I'm also participating in, the, in the, the great story of what God's doing in his creation. I start realizing that, you know what? I've been given gifts and abilities and a creativity, whether it's from spreadsheets to strategic plans, and I can reveal a little bit about and enjoy that I'm, I'm made in God's image, the one who created the heavens. He Mm -hmm. had a pretty, I mean, it was pretty successful strategic plan that came out and it just a beautiful creation. I can, uh, uh, exemplify that in the way that I deal with clients, treat employees, the way that I am serving my culture, beautifying my culture, making my culture more healthy. But that comes from, that's gotta be rooted in a, a, a spirituality and a relationship yeah. with god but it's a relationship that i don't put on the shelf when i when i head to the office on monday morning i take it there doesn't mean that i pray with every client <laughs> or have bible verses pasted all over my office that's not what we're talking about it's it's more me realizing i'm i'm playing a part in a larger story here yeah and i'm part of redeemed humanity and how's that gone to filter into the decisions I make, the relationships that I have, the way I treat people, the way I treat clients, the way that I walk in integrity um, and the way that I end up glorifying God and enjoying him and you know there's a statement in Westminster the chief end man is to glorify God and enjoy him, and, and enjoy him forever. Yeah so many people think that only happens
2: in church. Well, you know, even in our individual lives, so I want to share you a, a life that you've already touched through this book. Uh, I shared some of these concepts with a client of mine that was really struggling with, do I grow my company, which is a very different direction, or do I get it ready to sell and sell my company? And both required tremendous hours and massive stress in his life. It was affecting his relationships. And what we talked about is getting grounded, first of all, with your relationship with, with, with Christ and having this personal relationship and then just resting in the pla- in the fact that he has a plan mm-hmm. and there's a plan for you. And He's, we had lunch yesterday and he shared with me, you know, and he was able to release his agenda, his, uh, this individual, and turn it over to God. Mm. And he's, in the last two weeks, he's been in such a place of peace. He's actually, he was meeting with a group on whether they might buy his company and He was walking into this with the bounce in his step totally free of all stress and anxiety Because mm. he, he'd kind of he'd let go and so now what he told me was he's at a level of enjoyment Of his business and the quality of the relationship with his family that he honestly didn't think he could get to Just from taking one small step forward sure so I mean that's the power you're of quick, some of the yeah. things that you're teaching in this book And in somebody's real life that just happened
0: and he's switching from trying to extract from his company and his job, what only God can provide for him. And that and frees, frees you up point. to enjoy mm-hmm. uh, work. That, but that applies to marriage. Yeah. You know, we put pressure on our spouses. Uh, you need to do for me what only God can. We never say that, but mm-hmm. we're thinking it. So they disappoint us. You know, the Denver Broncos can disappoint us from that standpoint. You know, you th- you, you're you thinking if they've got to win and and we're trying to extract too much out of those endeavors. You say, well, wait a minute. So you're saying get away from all of those? No. Mm-hmm. Settle in with, and take the the longings that are God-sized longings to God. Yeah. Then I can enjoy A Denver Broncos game more than somebody else who's relying on it for their ultimate fulfillment. I can enjoy a a job, you know, a a marriage, a hobby. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you do away with those things. You know, of course, we go down the sin path as well and we try to extract from those things our God sized longings. That's a different story, but all of it is idolatry.
2: You know, as you're talking, I'm just thinking, you know, in in your book, and I wish we had more time because you talk about these 10 experiences that you know living this full life right you know what does that really look like and you Mm -hmm. just do a beautiful job of explaining that but the foundational concept that leads to that it seems to me and i'd love to get your thoughts on that, is just this this whole concept of grace right yeah um you know maybe you could just take a few minutes and just talk about the concept of grace you touch on in the book and then i'd like to take a little bit of time and talk about some of these experiences that i think that that you you share later on in the book sure
0: well, where grace comes in the whole journey of, yeah. of the book, so to speak, kind of 40,000 foot view is saying, all right, let's go back to the gospel and realize it's not about making me more religious or spiritual, but making me more fully human. And my spirituality better uh, enhance my humanity if it's a healthy spirituality. In other words, if I'm having great quiet times and slandering the people around me, there's something wrong with my spirituality. That's what I'm referring to. So right. we get that understood. Then we say, all right, well, where do we go from there? I think it's paying attention to our longings, you know, mm-hmm. those deep longings, and say I, I, a, a superficial engagement with my longings is going to lead to a superficial engagement with the gospel, mm. you know. And mm. I mm, say more uh, about that. So, well, if I say longings, just as humanity is a bad thing, right? Longings are a bad thing. I mean, there are plenty of churches out there where they'll tell you that, and. Uh, or if they don't t- say it outright, you catch that and say you don't want to pay so attention. Say, what to what
2: is a longing?
0: A longing how does somebody recognize
2: that they're having one?
0: Uh, it's my it's what dis- d- distinguishes us from animals. It's for that which which is is not, but we think is still out there. It's like C.S. Lewis talks about. He says just because uh, a man has hunger doesn't guarantee that he's going to get food, but it does guarantee that he lives in a world where food exists. And so if I've got a yearning for, say, s- significance or truth or beauty or goodness or resolution or triumph or or uh, companionship or love or intimacy or uh, self-esteem or, or, or a deep sense of shalom, those things are out there. And we're constantly trying – it's going back to the Billy Joel song mm-hmm. and what we relate with. What is that? You know, C.S. Lewis referred to it as the Zinzucht, the, the deep longing that we have for
2: that which which we sense is out there, but we haven't attained it yet. So, you know, it's interesting. Some of those longings that you mentioned, right, like uh-huh. uh, the one that popped out to me is significance. Yeah. I'm a business guy. I have, I have a longing for significance to be recognized in my community. Sure. And I might see that through kind of the Christian filter is that's not worthy. That's not a worthy longing to have. That's egotistical. That's self centered. So maybe God put that longing on my heart, but it's in conflict with the culture. And then all of a sudden I I get stuck. Mm -hmm. So what I'm hearing from you is there's longings that God can use in any way. Sure. And we need to really. Maybe you could expand on that a little bit because I think there's a lot of folks out there that their their longings are in conflict with Mm -hmm. what they they think is proper Christianity, right? Yeah.
0: Well, I think part of it is we need to distinguish between pursuits and longings. Okay, let's so a pursuit is so somebody says I want to be uh, I want to have a great reputation in the community. That's my longing, or I want to be a uh, an NBA basketball player. That's my longing, and say no, that's not your longing. That's what you want to do in order to to meet a deeper longing. And what's the deeper longing? And here you're talking about, well, maybe the deeper longing is, is ego. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go even deeper than that. Cause yeah, I think ego is a uh, it, ill-placed and out of control ego is a sinful thing that right. has taken that deeper, deepest longing for significance that's God-shaped, God-sized. And I've taken an early exit instead of heading all the way to God and relating with him and letting his acceptance of me mm-hmm. be what crowns me with a sense of significance. And that, that'll lead us in just two seconds here to, to the grace thing. But but instead, I take the early... I see, I'm headed down this road. I want to be significant. But instead of heading all the way to to the gospel, and I, I take an early exit to maybe... To, um, sp- you know, slandering others so I'll feel better about myself, maybe making unethical decisions in order to, to uh, at least give the appearance of an enhanced bottom line at my company so I'll feel more significant. We're, we take that a longing that's God, God-shaped, God-sized, God-honoring even. My desire for significance is placed in me by God. Mm. But I take it and I wrestle it and I try to fulfill it in my own way and so since we're on the significance one what what if i were to head to him and say god what do you think of me and that's the power of who jesus is and the way what christ came to do what he did on the cross is far more than just a religious martyr or something to start a holiday he came to take upon himself that that penalty for my rebellion all the stuff that i do to try to get significant in the wrong ways and so the grace factor is the doorway really to this life of where i come to god and i say i got nothing and he says now we're talking cuz mm-hmm. you're right you you know we're dead we, ephesians 2 we're dead he made us alive by grace so this coming to life mm-hmm. the doorway to that is grace where all of a sudden I start to experience the acceptance of God that is absolutely unconditional. And it's so hard for us to go there. We think, no, 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 I can't be. That sounds too good to be true. <laughs> That's why it's called the gospel. Right. Now, it doesn't mean I abuse that, it doesn't mean I take and run with it and do whatever I want. No, when I really finally begin to get, I'm accepted by God through Christ. And there is nothing I could do right now, nothing. That would get him to love me more than he does at this moment. Now we're flirting with significance at a really deep level.
2: Well, I think, with what you just shared, and I hope everybody listening, this is one of the most powerful teaching moments, I think, to just create velocity moving forward, right? When I was a kid, I always felt like I was meant for greatness. And when I would share that with people when I was younger, it just sounded so egotistical. And I, man, I, I just, I checked out from that, even though I've done some things in my life and then going through this, developing this relationship with God, what you just talked about is, if you keep kind of peeling back layers of the onion you go deeper and deeper and deeper, mm-hmm. there's a huge difference of, my life was meant for greatness to honor me and my accomplishments, or what I'm doing through my life and my relationship with Christ is meant for greatness from the perspective that it honors him. Yeah. And when I got to that place, I In said, Jewish, you know what? Good. Now I can do something Great with my life, and do it with excitement, and be proud. And no matter what anybody else thinks outside of this, I know I'm in alignment with what God wants me to do, and that's where I'm getting my identity from. So there is nothing holding me back. And yeah. it was for me, it was an it was a place of just total freedom. My heart just would just started pounding, my blood started flowing, and and it would it took me a long time to realize that. So I think what you just shared, if people can internalize that one nugget of wisdom and look at things in perspective of how God is seeing it? Yeah. Whatever your longing is, how do you bring that down to where that longing honors God in your life and the relationships that you have?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: That's powerful.
0: Last year, have you guys ever seen The Voice? You ever seen yeah, that love show? The okay. voice. Well, I I had to get introduced to civilization last winter, well by Ar- Arlene, <laughs> my wife and my youngest son. They said, "You've got to watch this." And I'm not a huge sports guy, news guy, but I don't watch too many of the others and so I sat down with them and they were having the the uh it was their blind auditions. Mm. They have what, three or four at the beginning of the season that right. they call blind auditions. And yeah. So, I mean, if you've if you've never never seen it, uh, the this c- contestant walks on stage, has been introduced to us as the audience, but not to the judges. Mm. And so the, the person you know they they walk on stage and they what they see is four red huge red chairs, the backs of those chairs, and the four celebrity judges are sitting in those four chairs. And the judges can't see this contestant. The audience can. The music starts. The contestant starts playing. So the big deal is for this contestant to perform good enough to get at least one of those judges to turn hit the button on their chair and turn around. And in doing so that judge is saying, I accept you. I believe in you enough to want to be your coach. And the fun thing is, you know, if more than one judge turns their chair, they have to compete with each other to get the, uh, the contestant to, to pick them. Mm-hmm. But when I watched that, no kidding. The first night I'm sitting there, uh, tears began to well up in my eyes. Cause I said, my, my default view of God, it's an incorrect view of God is being exposed right now. Wow! Because so often we walk out on our life stage and we think, if I just do, do it just right, He's gonna turn God's going to turn His chair around. Oh my Yet God! He's he giving me goosebumps. I mean, but the gospel says, you—the moment you walk out on that stage, He hits the button, He turns around and says, "I accept you through my Son Jesus Christ. I accept you." And what difference would that make? If I went through my performance, so to speak, of life mm-hmm. on stage, and I know God's already turned his chair toward me, I don't. I, there's nothing I can do to get him to give me any more, more favor than he's already given me through Christ.
2: And what does that mean? I'm on his team. Yeah. I'm being coached by him. Yeah. He loves me personally and deeply. I mean, I felt that in my accident when I was in his presence. Yeah. I mean, a very flawed person my whole life. And when I was in God's presence, the thing, Matt, that just blew me away was the God of the universe with... With this life that I've lived up until that point, cares about me personally. Yeah. Do you know the first thought that popped into my mind? the The first thought that popped into my mind when I felt his presence was, "I'm not worthy of somebody loving me like this." It was that. Wow. Powerful. Mm-hmm. Just to feel that. And so, what an incredible way to kind of wrap this up. I I, I wish we had some more time. We'll have to bring you on. I you talked. We talked about a little bit before this is. If somebody goes through this book and and they start really reshaping and, and aligning how they're thinking and, and building that bridge to that other side of the bank, what would be the next step for somebody after they've read this book? I think probably the best way is to get with a group of people.
0: Mm, that's always a great way and, to do and, things. And just- Start teaching each other from from the book, yes, and more, much more importantly, from the scriptural foundation in the book, right? And in in dialoguing, okay, what are the implications of this? But uh, uh, those ten life experiences that that I go through, you know, starting with freedom and. But covering stuff like heart engagement and and engaging with the story and, and seeing beauty and uh, a love in our relationships and all of life worship and dealing with brokenness, yeah. dealing with what what is time and how do I deal with all of that happens seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And it's not just an isolated little spiritual category. And I think. Getting together with a group of other people and going through it, and we're going to get some study guides developed and participants guides and so forth, and uh, so we'll, we'll be hopefully providing some of those resources as well. But those are that's coming out early yeah, next year. Yeah, and uh, so on my website, uh, matherd.org uh, we'll, they can keep an eye out for those resources to to come out. But but just doing what we've done here i mean where we you sit here and i it's like iron sharpens iron i start hearing insights from you about boy that's a good thing to think about so people getting together and it sounds simple but read a chapter get together for an evening and and talk about it
2: you know that's a great point i i really think i I just look at times in my life where i've had the most personal growth Mm -hmm. it's always been based on relationships you know people around me that are where I want to get to or we're like-minded and we're we're sharing stories and you know that friendship that bond and so I love that you know encourage people to get together talk about this read it as a group uh you also have a website life with a capital l.com right right so there'll be resources on there so I encourage everybody to really you know follow up with Matt we'll have all your links for your Facebook page, which you are the master of. Oh, exactly! And Twitter. One
0: month in Facebook, and you know, I figured I would. I wanted to get on it just as it before it peaked. I, I right. wanted to get it. I'm an early adopter, so yeah. I just wanted to get on Facebook before it got
2: too popular. So that's I finally right. decided. to Well do you're, that. Well, you're setting the pace. You're, you're leading the way, and that's what we love about you.
0: Same with Twitter. I, I haven't done a tweet yet, but I've got an account.
2: Uh, the tweet verse. Yeah. yeah, you have to get on this interweb thing one of these days, and I heard it's pretty amazing. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Matt. It was so great to have you here. Thank I, you, John. I know you've the people Steve. listening. Yeah. And Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Okay.
1: If the kinds of praises that John heaped on Life with a Capital L have piqued your interest, please consider buying a copy. We've got a link to purchase it embedded here in this MP3 if you're listening on your tablet or smartphone. Or you can find it in the show notes on eternalleadership.com. Now, if you purchase through the link we provide, it will be a simple way to help support this brand new show. John and I want this to be a sounding board, um, kind of a platform for nonprofit marketplace ministry. So we didn't set this up as a nonprofit. And so buying books that we talk about through our affiliate links, like with worldchristian.com, it's, it's a simple way to help us get this show off the ground and pay our costs while we try and build an audience. Again, the link is embedded if you're listening on your smartphone or tablet, or go to eternalleadership.com and find it in the show notes. Now, there are a couple of ways in which you can connect with John and myself. First off, like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash eternalleadership. Um, There we'll have inspiring quotes, articles, links, a lot more. Go to facebook.com slash eternalleadership. Uh, And secondly, you can join our private LinkedIn group, Where you can interact with John, myself, and many other thought leaders and professionals like yourselves. Uh, Just go to LinkedIn and type Eternal Leadership in the search box and look for the group. Next time on Eternal Leadership, my co-host and partner, John Ramstead tells his story.
2: Uh, I'll never forget as this panic and this fear is just rising to this crescendo. It was like all of a sudden, things just slowed down. It was like the this moment of clarity. And I'll never forget thinking very slowly and clearly to myself, almost with a wry smile, this is not gonna end well. And bam, lights out. That was the last thing I remembered until I woke up on the ground.
1: See how a catastrophic accident that should have killed him actually turned his life towards a whole new direction. For my partner John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to eternal leadership.